So as I said, we are going to be spending the next several weeks on a series we're calling Of God and Kings. We have our uh, beautiful throne here built by uh, Brian Ballas. I know. Carved in fine steel and swords. They may look like Nerf swords, but they're sharp, so don't touch them. So we're, uh, we're excited about this series. We're going to be uh, digging into the books of First and Second Kings. And uh, this is, these are historical books, and they talk about the rulers of Israel. And so we're going to be looking at this period in Israel's history uh, that started, and we have to kind of back up a little bit to understand, because we really have to go back almost to the beginning. Because this starts with God makes a covenant. God makes his first covenant or promise with Adam, right? And he says, Adam, listen, I've made this wonderful world for you. You've got this great garden. You've got these animals to take care of. I made this woman from your own rib to to be with you, to be your helpmate. And now you can have anything you want. Just don't eat from this one tree. In fact, don't even touch it. And obviously, you all know the end of the story. Adam falls short. He doesn't hold up his end of the bargain. He fails his side of the covenant or promise. Well, God makes a series of covenants, and he makes one with Abraham. He makes one with Moses. He makes one with Noah. And we're going to talk today about one he made with David. But it's, it's important to understand kind of this Israel history, because when we go in this period in time, Israel demands a king. They want to be like all the other nations. Previous to that, they didn't have a king because they did have a king who sat on the throne that was, that was, I'll give you a hint. God, all right, excellent. God, God was their king. And this goes back, he was their ruler, he was their leader, and they were simply seeking to follow God. But they said, no, we want to be like all the other nations. All the other nations have a person who sits on a throne, who's a ruler, who tells them what to do. And so ultimately God relents and they choose a king for themselves. And the first king of Israel is, oh, you did better with that one. Okay. Saul. And Saul is exactly who you would expect them to choose, right? Saul is the biggest. He's the strongest. He's a good looking guy. And he becomes king, but then God rejects Saul because Saul does not fall after God with his, own, with his whole heart. And so God chooses for himself a king of Israel because Israel is a special people to him. And he chooses a young shepherd boy named David. Now David, he had his flaws too, right? He wasn't perfect. I mean, he had a great name. But... He fell short, but yet David is referred to as the only person in all of Scripture who's called a man after God's own heart. And the reason is not because he was perfect. He certainly wasn't. He committed adultery, right? He stole another man's wife. He ultimately had that guy killed, right? I'm not sure all the commandments he broke, but those are two big ones right there, right? He lied about it. There's a third. So there's... He wasn't a perfect guy, but the thing that David, that set him apart is he was broken over his sin. He recognized above everything else that he was sinful, and he desperately needed God. And so we get to this point in history, 
And this is where we're sort of going to pick up the story at the end of David's rule as king. David had a very successful 40-year rule over Israel. For 40 years he ruled. They conquered everyone they went up against in battle. God blessed them tremendously. And the one thing David did is he made sure all the other foreign idols were torn down and only the true God was worshipped. And kind of spoiler alert for the next two months, the other kings don't necessarily follow completely like David did. And so we're going to go through this series and we're going to look at how in the history of all these kings that there are several covenants or promises made and that as they're, as they're followed, as they're fulfilled, good things happen to Israel. But as Israel turns away, as Israel turns towards other idols and other gods, bad things are going to happen to them. So we're at the point in the story where David is at the very end of his life. He knows that he's about to die and he wants to leave a legacy. He wants to leave a lasting impression for the next generation. And we can think of a lot of people in history that have left legacies, right? Right? People, um, people like George Washington, our first president, he left a, a nice legacy. Benjamin Franklin, another founding father, Thomas Jefferson. You know, they had good and bad in their lives, but there's a lasting legacy. We could look at, in our own heritage, right, Martin Luther and the legacy that he left for the church. Or someone like Martin Luther King Jr. who left a legacy, right, as he fought against racism and fought for equality. We could go on and on. We could talk about people in sports or whatever field you might be interested in. There's lots of people that left legacies. They anyone ever hear of somebody named Gavrilo Princip? Two services, not a single person. You guys read? I'll get you there. I'll get you there. What about this? Who killed Archduke Franz Ferdinand? Gavrilo Princep, right? Gavrilo Princep from the Black Hand. He kills Archduke Franz Ferdinand, which starts World War I. Thank you. We got there. All right. Good job, guys. Right? So he left a legacy. Now it's not a positive one. But he left a very significant legacy, an event that shaped the history of the world because one man took another man's life. And so David is looking at his life and everything that he's done and he's saying, I want to leave a legacy for my son Solomon. As I hand off this throne to my son Solomon, I want to leave him with something that is going to be of the utmost significance. So David gives this charge to Solomon. And this is a common practice culturally that as, as someone was handing off their leadership, as they were imparting something in the next generation, they would give a speech to, to show them what is the most important thing. And it's clear that as we read this, his priority for Solomon is to follow God. As David has a chance to give this parting speech, mine would be a little bit different. I would be like, make sure everyone remembers that I killed Goliath. Right? I mean, I'd want, I want people to remember that. I mean, I'm this tiny little shepherd boy, right? I've got a slingshot, and here's this nine-foot guy with a giant sword coming at me. And I took him down. I would want people to remember that. I would want people to remember that David won every battle he ever fought. But David says, no. 
more important than anything, Solomon, is that you will follow God with your life. That's the one thing he wants to leave his son with. And we talk about legacies. I think we all have a desire to leave a legacy, right? And you think about maybe people in your life who have left a legacy of faith, who have taken the same concept as David and said, this is what's most important. I think about my, my parents, my grandparents, people that have helped shape my faith, pastors that have been involved in my life, friends that have come alongside me. I don't know who have been the people in your life that have helped shape your faith. But I think an important thing we can take away from this is how significant it is to David that the one thing he gives to Solomon, the one thing he hands down is his faith. So who are you leaving a legacy of faith to? Who are the people in your life that you are encouraging to follow God first and foremost? Is it your family? Is it friends in your life? Is it someone you work with? But how can we leave a legacy of faith? This is what David says. He says to Solomon, Be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. He says, above everything else, if you want to be a good king, follow God. Do what he asks. It's that simple. There's not a long list of things that David leaves for Solomon. I mean, if we read on, he says, hey, listen, there's a couple people, and, and, and David's got, you know, again, David's not perfect, right? There's a couple people, if we read on the next eight verses, he basically says, hey, don't let them get gray hair. Make sure you take care of them before they die of old age. But other than killing a couple people, all he really wants Solomon to do is follow God, Right? And it's, it's that important and significant. God also wants to leave a legacy for Israel. If we read on right here, these are God's words, and it's his covenant to David. He says, if your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you'll never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Now, to understand this, Perfectly, we need, to, we need to go back in, in Jewish history for two things. Number one, in here there's, there's some, a phrase that's very significant, right? It comes directly from the Shema. And the Shema was something that Jewish families would have said every day of their life. And I think you probably know it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your Heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And so there's a phrase in here when he says, follow me with all your heart and soul, they're referring to the Shema. Again, God is now reminding David and the people of Israel, remember what's most important. I am one. I am one God. Follow me and love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that's what God is, is reminding them of. That's the part of the covenant that Israel is supposed to fulfill, that David is supposed to fulfill, that his descendants are supposed to fulfill. Now here's the other important thing we have to remember. In the Bible, when covenants are talked about, remember, covenants are promises of God. When they're talked about, uh, the phrase that's actually used in the Hebrew is to cut a covenant. Because whenever there was a covenant made, it was sealed in blood. And so a covenant was literally cut, usually with, with a, a perfect animal. 
And we go back to this original covenant with Abraham, right? God makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, Abraham, Abraham at the time is a pagan idol worshiper. And God takes this pagan idol worshiper and he says, listen, this is what I'm going to do, Abraham. I am going to be your God forever. And you and your descendants are going to be my people. From you, I'm going to form a great nation. Look in the sky. He says, look up at the stars. You will have more descendants than the stars. He says, look at the grains of sand here in the desert. Your people will be more than these. Abraham at the time is an old man. And so Abraham has his doubts. And God says, follow me, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and this is what I'll do for you. I will be your God and you will be my people forever. And so Abraham sets up an altar to seal the covenant. He sets up an altar. And on this altar, he has these perfect sacrifices. And what happens is is Abraham is prepared and ready to make this sacrifice to seal this covenant with God. Abraham falls asleep. And as he falls asleep, he has a dream, which is actually what's actually happening. And God comes down in the form of fire. And God himself fulfills both sides of the covenant. He fulfills his side, his promise to be Abraham's God forever. And he fulfills Abraham's side by making the sacrifice himself. And that is just a sign of all the covenants to come. And so when David makes this covenant, the reality is David's promise to to Solomon and God's promise, they're for us today because the covenant, God fulfills both sides. When we take communion each and every week, when I hold up the glass or whoever's doing communion, we say, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. You see, it's the only perfect covenant. It's a perfect covenant for once and for all time. Because what happened is, again and again and again, as God made promises to Noah, to Moses, to Abraham, to David, we dropped the ball on our side. But God remained faithful. And so, As we celebrate this meal, it's a reminder of the perfect covenant that Jesus came, the perfect and ultimate sacrifice. He gave his body, he shed his blood to seal the covenant so that we would be God's forever. And so as we look back at this story, and as we go throughout this series in 1 and 2 Kings, I want us to remember that David's charge to follow God first and foremost, and God's promise, his covenant, they're for us today. Because God, God fulfills his promises even when we don't hold up our end of the bargain. You see, again, spoiler alert, what we're going to find as we go through this series is most of these kings don't live up to what David is asking Solomon to do. Starting with Solomon, Right? Solomon started off great. As we go on, we're going to find out Solomon started off great. He comes back and he says, God offers him anything he wants. And Solomon says, I just want wisdom so I can follow you well. So God gives him everything, riches, wisdom, 
power. But Solomon has a little weakness. He likes the ladies. He likes them a lot. He ends up with over a thousand wives and concubines. And eventually he forgets about what's most important. And see, we all have a tendency to do that, right? We all fall short. We all forget about what's most important, about following God first. But the beautiful thing, the beautiful reminder through this series, the beautiful reminder through this meal that we share, the beautiful reminder that I want us all to have today is that even when we let down our side of the bargain, God holds it up because of grace. God's grace is bigger than our sin. Even though we, we don't, maybe don't chase after idols like they did back then, but we sort of do. We chase after the idols of power. We chase after the idols of money. We chase after the idols of relationships. We chase after the idols of fame. Fill in the blank. And we forget that we have a perfect king on the throne that loves us desperately. But God still fulfills his side of that covenant. He holds up his end of the bargain and ours. That's what happened with Jesus' death. When Jesus died on that cross, he fulfilled our side of the covenant forever. And that's a beautiful thing. One of my uh, favorite bands is U2. Any U2 fans here? Oh, much better than the first service. There was one in the first service. I was like, is this a church? I thought Christians liked you too, right? So I'm a huge U2 fan. always have loved U2. And their lead singer, uh, Bono, he's awesome. He's done some great things uh, for the world. And uh, he's a follower of Jesus. And the interesting thing about Bono is he grew up really with a kind of a bad taste in his mouth for the church. He was exposed to some things early in his life that, that were real challenges, and he, he really had a hard time with the Christian church. And in fact, some people in the church had really wronged him. And so he had this, this really distaste in his mouth, but the one thing that he always embraced was grace. And he said, you know, when I look at life, karma doesn't make sense. People talk about karma like, like you, you put good things out and good things come back to you and bad things out and bad things come back to you. He's like, karma doesn't make sense because the world doesn't work that way. But what does make sense is that there's a God that extends grace. And so Bono's written a lot of amazing songs, a lot of really good ones, a lot of number one hits, popular ones. But there's one song that isn't as popular, but Bono says it's his favorite and it's called Grace. I was going to sing it, but I'm not going to. You're welcome. But I want to read the lyrics. Grace, she takes the blame. She carries the shame. Removes the stains. It could be her name. Grace, it's the name of a girl. It's also a thought that changed the world. When she walks on the street, you can hear the strings. Grace finds goodness in everything.
grace. She's got the walk, not a ramp or on chalk. She's got the time to talk. She travels outside of karma. When she goes to work, you can hear her strings. Grace finds beauty in everything. Grace. She carries a world on her hips. No champagne flute for her lips. No twirls or skips between her fingertips. She carries a pearl in perfect condition. What once was hurt, what once was friction, what left a mark no longer stings because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. That's what God, our King, does. We all fall short. We all sin. We all don't measure up. We all don't hold up our end of the bargain. But God takes our ugliness. He takes our stain. He takes our sin. He takes our shame. And by the blood of Jesus, by his incredible love and grace in our lives, he wipes it clean. When God sees me, he doesn't see a insecure, 45-year-old, handsome man. When God looks at me, he sees Jesus. That's because of his incredible grace in our lives. As the band comes back up, as we're walking through this series together, we're going to find that a lot of these kings fall short. A lot of them don't measure up. A lot of them go their own way instead of following God like David asks. So as we walk through this together, we're going to learn. But the one thing I want us to hold fast to throughout this series is God's grace is bigger than our sin.